If you've got your Bible with you, open to the book of Acts chapter 4. By now it should just be kind of falling open to Acts chapter 4. We've been looking at it together for several weeks. And I want to do it again today in Acts chapter 4. The Bible says in verse 32 that the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And say this last part with me. And great grace was upon them all. Say it again. And great grace was upon them all. What kind of grace was on them? Great grace. You remember we talked about it several weeks ago, but that word great is the Greek word megas. Guess what word we get from the Greek word megas? Mega. See, you're all Greek scholars. Mega. What kind of grace was on this church? Mega grace. And that word alone should tell you that grace can be on you and on us in varying degrees. Because if grace is just grace, then why say it was great grace? If you can have great mega grace, well, then you can also be walking in, you know, just a little bit. But why would you want to do that? When James chapter four, verse six says he gives more grace. And we've also been looking at what is it? First Peter chapter three that says continue to grow in the grace. So the taste of grace that you and I got when we were born again, as wonderful as, as it is, as thankful as we should be for it, better news is there's more. There's more grace available to you. And that first taste of grace is not all you're limited to. There's more grace. And you and I can grow in it and grow in it and grow in it and grow in it to the point where somebody looks at us, looks at your family, looks at what's going on in your life, looks at what's going on in this church, and somebody just says, man, they got mega grace. All them people got mega grace on them. And it wasn't just on preachers. It wasn't just on leaders. It wasn't just on ministry people. Great grace was on them all. On them all. And we've gone back and looked at the kind of grace that was on them. Grace that, that filled them with the Holy Spirit. Just a few chapters before this. Grace that came on Peter and the other apostles to preach with power. Grace that added thousands of people to the church in a day. Grace that grabbed a lame man, a man born lame who'd never taken a step in all his life. Grace that grabbed him and said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And immediately he was filled with strength. His feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he went walking, leaping, praising God. What is that? That's grace. Grace and great grace. And we've seen how this church was started off with grace on it. And grace in it, and it grew on them, and it grew on them, and it grew on them. And what encourages me about it is that we're a part of the same church. Do you realize that you and I are not destined to look back on these things in Scripture and say, wow, wouldn't that have been nice? You don't have to resign yourself to look at these things and say, wow, I wish we were still living in those days. People talk about glory days, but you notice this, it's always the days behind them. Oh, those were the glory days, weren't they? High school, those were the glory days. College football, those were the glory days. But folks, for us in the church, 
Our glory days are not behind us. Are you listening to me this morning? Your glory days are not behind you. I don't care what a stud you were in high school. Your glory days are not behind you. Who cares if you don't look like that 18-year-old kid anymore? Your glory days are not gone. The glory days are the ones we're in right now. The glory days are the days that are just ahead of us. And we don't have to look back on the book of Acts and say, wow, wouldn't that have been neat? No, we're a part of that church. And to those who would say, well, those days are gone. Days of, of, of speaking in other tongues are gone. That was a dispensation then. Days of healing miracles are passed away. Well, my question is this. Has grace passed away? No. Because that's what all that was. Grace. Has receiving by faith been done away with? No. So if grace and faith haven't passed away, then all the grace they had, guess who else can have it? You. Me, this church, my house, your house, we can have great mega grace on our lives. And we saw, began to see last week, reading past Acts chapter four into chapter five, where it wasn't just grace and favor with God that these people have. Anybody else remember what else was going on? It, the Bible said that the people esteemed them highly. Say grace with God, grace with people. Favor with God, favor with people. I want to keep talking about that today. As we grow in the grace of God that's on our lives, begin to expect it to see overflow and manifest in the favor that you have with other people. Begin to expect to see that to the point where you just walk out of the house every day expecting it. I have favor with God and I have favor with other people. We looked at a scripture together last week in the book of Proverbs. Let's put that on the screen again. I want to look first of all at the New Living Translation. Favor with God and favor with men. In the New Living Translation, the Bible said, never, how often? Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. And if you remember, we talked about kindness, that Hebrew word, the hesed, Hesed, kindness. It's covenant kindness. When you start talking about kindness, it's so much more than niceness. It's more than politeness. Those things are included in it, but it's more than that. The Hesed, kindness of God, it's Him. It's Him. When you talk kindness, you're defining Him, you're describing Him. Because it has to do with mercy. It has to do with loving kindness and steadfast love, unfailing love. That's what this kindness is. And he said, never let that kind of loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck. You remember we talked about that last week? Anybody with us last week? Yes. I know you were. Talked about what happens when you tie something around your neck. It goes with you all day long. Everywhere you go, it goes, right? Why? Because it's tied in a knot around your neck. And he said, treat kindness that way. Don't leave home without that. You and I ought to think of ourselves as not completely dressed until loyalty and kindness have been tied around our necks. Amen. Never let them leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Now notice verse four. Go to the next verse. Write them deep within your heart. That, that's the end of verse three. But verse four says, then, or as the result of kindness being tied around your neck, 
What's going to happen? You will find favor with both God and people. And we've been looking at Luke chapter 2 that tells us about those mysterious missing years of Jesus' childhood. Well, we don't know what happened. We don't know what was going on. We know everything we need to know. Luke chapter 2 ends with Jesus as 12 years old. Luke chapter 3 begins with Jesus as 30 years old. What happened to those 18 years? I always say 18. My math is right, isn't it? It is right. You're nervously laughing. You don't know either, do you? Somebody's like, but Luke chapter 2 ends like this, that Jesus as a child grew, increased in wisdom in stature and in favor with God and men. Now, do you suppose Jesus increased in favor with God and men some other way than what the Bible said? No, we just read how Jesus did that by tying kindness and loyalty around his neck. And it resulted in favor, not just with favor with God, it resulted in favor with other people. And like we've talked about, you've got to have some pretty amazing favor with other people to say the things he said and do the things he did. And still people follow you and still people are open to you and still people are receptive to you. Jesus, it's a big statement. Are you ready for this? Was kind, kind. He carried with him that covenant kindness of God. And when you and I do that, it opens up doors of favor and grace, not just with God, but with other people. And that really makes sense, doesn't it? That's not as deeply spiritual as you might think. I mean, God could have all this favor and grace just lined up for you. And sometimes I think if we could just sort of step off into the spirit and see the favor that has gone before us, like scripture says. God has got some favor lined up for you from now until you leave this place. But you know what? You can mess the whole thing up. You could go into a place that God's got ordained for you and people he's got ready there and he's going to move on their heart to move this and shake that and move these pieces out of the way and get these hindrances out of your way. But if you walk into that place all demanding and grumpy and angry because of your prophetic anointing, it's not true. You're pretending but you walk into a place demanding things from people and being pushy with people, you can mess up that whole line of favor that God had out in front of you just with a lack of kindness. But you walk into a place with some kindness in your voice, some softness, some tenderness in you. What happens with a soft answer? It turns away wrath. You might walk up to a counter and there's been a guy there and everybody come into his store that day has had a complaint about this, that, and the other. And he has, he has been cussed out. He has had eyes rolled at him. He's had people be rude and mean to him. And now you come walking in and he's expecting it. He's kind of got his, his guns half cocked behind his back, just waiting for another fight from somebody. And, and it's just on the surface, but you come in with a little softness a little kindness, a little tenderness. And what happens? It turns away. You could say like this, it turns down wrath. Softness, kindness, 
will do that. But that's, kindness is not the only thing mentioned in this verse. Look at it again. Verse 3, never let loyalty. Somebody say loyalty. loyalty. In addition to kindness, there's one other thing he said to tie around your neck. Something else he said is supposed to go with you and with me everywhere we go. Something that is supposed to be written on the tablet of our heart. Now you got to remind yourself what he was talking about when he said tablet. It's not that piece of paper written in ink or pencil. And it was certainly not a reference to an electronic device. <laughs> what were their tablets? Stone. Stone. And you wrote on stone by etching into it. And there were no such thing as typos. You didn't erase. You didn't scratch out. Man, when it was written in stone, it was there and there forever. Write these things on that tablet of your heart. Kindness, yes, but what else? Loyalty. Listen to it from the English Standard Version. He said, let not steadfast love, that's a reference to that hesed, kindness, unfailing love of God. He said, let not that steadfast love and faithfulness. Can you see that? Love and faithfulness. These two things, above all others, should be tied around our necks, written on the tablet of our hearts, and they ought to go with us everywhere we go. Love and faithfulness. Now, we've talked about that uh, in the, from the very beginning of this church. That's what we want in this place. And I told you last week that as we talk about kindness, not only are we tapping on the heart of God, we're tapping on the heart and the culture of Legacy Church. That's what we want in the very air that you breathe when you come into this place. People who are not all talk about the love of God, but they actually show some of it. That kindness is more than just talk, but they're looking for somebody to be kind to. They're praying David's prayer when he said, is there not somebody left in the house of Saul that I can show the kindness of God to give me somebody to be good to? Give me somebody to be kind to. And we're a church full of people praying that prayer. Before you get out of your car in the parking lot and make your way up the hill to this church, it ought to be coming out of your mouth. Father, give me somebody to be kind to. Somebody to be kind to. And that's what we want to be so consuming in the atmosphere of this church that somebody walks in, takes a deep breath, and they're breathing in an atmosphere of love, an atmosphere of kindness and faith. Faith. I want this place to be so full of faith that somebody comes dragging in, discouraged, defeated, and, and the next hour or two, they get so pumped full of the word of God and so full of the joy of the Lord that they leave this place going, I can do it. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. This thing ain't bigger than me. I got a God that's bigger than it. And they just walk out charged up and ready to go. That happens when you come into an atmosphere of faith. You, you come in going, it can't be done. You leave going, all things are possible with God and with him who believes. But here's the thing. 
whether you're talking about grace or you're talking about faith, you need to understand they're nothing without each other. And when I say grace, I'm talking about love and kindness. That's the grace is God showing his love and his kindness towards us. Faith is our response to that. That's how you were born again by grace through faith. I'm saved by grace. That's true, but that's not a complete statement. Well, I'm saved by faith. That's true, but it's not a complete statement. The whole statement is I am saved by grace through faith. And that applies to anything and everything that you desire and would receive from God. I am healed by grace. True, but there's more. I'm healed by faith. Yes, but you got to put them together. I am healed. How? By grace through faith. Now, the sad thing is in the last, I don't know, it seems like 10 years or 15 years, especially, and I know it's been in, in the body of Christ for a long time and a lot longer than that, but I, let's say I've noticed it more in the last 10 or 12 years that there's been this silly dividing line between grace people and faith people, almost like divided into two camps. And if it wasn't so sad, it would be kind of funny because we're nothing without each other. But if you are, let's say a quote unquote grace person, then there is one thing that ought to show up in your life more than anything else. You know what it is? Graciousness. You cannot preach grace ungraciously. <laughs> it doesn't work. I'm not even sure if that's a word. But you cannot preach grace without a graciousness. One of the first evidences in your life that you've really gotten a hold of the grace of God and a revelation of his grace is that you are a gracious person. And, and I know... I was around folks 10, 15 years ago. I know what they were listening to. I, I read the book they were reading. And man, it excited me too. Things about the grace of God. Big revelation on the grace of God. But I watched one or two, one of two things happen to people. I watched some people get a hold of that grace and it, and it changed them and transformed them and they became people of grace. People that extended grace. People that, that showed grace were quick to forgive, quick to give mercy. But on the other hand, I saw folks that get a hold of the message of grace and everything else wasn't as good. Nothing else could measure up to this message. Nothing else could measure up to this preacher. There was literally a guy, I, I met him a time or two. He came to our church that I worked at and I found out that he, he did this at our church and he would do it at other churches. He'd come in and he'd sit there and he would count the number of times the preacher said the name of Jesus. And if it wasn't enough, if they didn't talk about Jesus and if they didn't say Jesus enough times, then this place, there's no grace here. They're not focused enough on Jesus. Well, should our focus be on Jesus? Sure. But is that a gracious approach to sit and wait for somebody to mess up? Now, if you're a grace person, guess what's going to be the first thing that comes up out of your life? Graciousness. Graciousness. Well, if you're a faith person, 
Guess what's going to be the first thing that comes out of you? My confession lines up, glory to God. I'm a faith person and I've memorized all these scriptures and I know all these steps and I turn all these keys and I know all these principles. If you are a faith person, the first and most important thing that will come out of your life, you know what it is? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, we should not be either a grace person or a faith person, should we? What are we? Grace, faith, people. Grace, faith, preacher. What kind of preacher are you? I finally got to the point when people were asking me, what do you think about that grace message? You've been hearing that? What do you think about that? And I got so tired of the conversation that when people would ask me, what do you think about that grace message? I'd say, oh, you mean Jesus? I love it. I love it. The problem is when you start letting somebody other than Jesus bring definition to something only he can, you start dividing into these little camps and it's silly, it's foolish, and we suck all the power out of both messages if you don't put them together. So we are people of grace. We are people of faith, which means what are we going to be? gracious and faithful. We are going to tie these two things around our neck. We're going to write these two things deep in our heart. And everywhere we go, graciousness goes. Everywhere we go, faithfulness goes. Amen. But you can see it with faithfulness the same way you can see it with kindness. If kindness opens the door to favor with God and men, guess what faithfulness does? The same thing. This, this translation we were reading here, the English Standard Version said, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Favor and good success. God can have favor and good success lined up for you. But if you're not a faithful person, can you, should you still expect that favor? Not according to the scripture. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 6. Well, let me read this one to you first. Proverbs 28, verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessing. Again, that's Proverbs 28, 20. A faithful man will do what? He will abound, abound, he said, with blessing. What about if you're not faithful? Can you still expect to abound with blessing? Should you still expect, and for the sake of our conversation, grace and all grace abounding towards you? If you're not a faithful person? No, faithfulness is what opens up the door to the favor and the good success that God has already in store, lined up. Folks, it's waiting for you. It's waiting for you in the parking lot. It's waiting for you on the way home. It's waiting for you on the job. It's waiting for you in the grocery store. It's waiting for you in the department store. Grace and favor and good success is waiting for you right now at the bank, in the lawyer's office, in the doctor's office. There's grace and favor and good success waiting for you. But the same way a lack of kindness can mess all that up, unfaithfulness will mess it all up. How can you expect favor an increase in promotion on your job if you're not faithful on the job. 
I'm believing for favor. I'm believing for six. I'm believing for that promotion. Okay. What time do you get to work in the morning? I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. We'll, we'll. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 20, verse six says this. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. It's not hard to find somebody who will tell you how great they are. It's not hard to find a person that can tell you what all they've done and what all they can do. That's not hard at all. We have whole websites dedicated to helping you write that on paper so that when you go to apply for a job, it's shining, it's gleaming, it's radiant, and it stands out above everything else that everyone else said they were good at, right? But keep in mind who wrote this. We're reading from the book of Proverbs. These are Solomon's words. This is the, the, the king's words, right? And he's saying, it's not hard to find somebody who will proclaim each his own goodness. Listen to it though. But who can find a faithful man? This is coming from somebody high up, the highest authority. And can you hear the frustration in his voice a little bit? It's almost as though he's saying, I am so tired of looking at all these self-congratulatory resumes coming across my desk. I'm so tired of hearing about what this guy can do and what that one's done. I'm so tired about hearing all the experience they have and you put them in place and a few days you look up and they're gone. They're nowhere to be found. And the, the king is going, you, it's easy to find somebody who can tell you how good they are. It's hard to find somebody that will just be there. Somebody that'll just be faithful. Somebody that'll just stick to it. Can you see how, how rare it is? And the more rare something is, the more valuable it is. I can hear it in the voice of the king. I can hear it. I can hear his frustration. I find a bunch of people that can tell me what they can do, what they will do. But when it comes to actually being faithful, who can find a faithful man? Go to the New Testament with me to the book of First uh, Corinthians. While you're looking for First Corinthians chapter 4, let me read just a few things to you about faithfulness. Some things from the scripture. We're talking about your faithfulness and mine, but we do ourselves a, dis a disservice when we start talking about our own faithfulness without a revelation of his faithfulness. So listen to just a few of these things about the faithfulness of God. Exodus 34, God was talking to Moses and he said in verse six, he said, I am slow to anger. Somebody say, thank God. And filled, he said, with unfailing love and faithfulness. Unfailing love and faithfulness. This is God we're talking about. He said in Psalm 25, verse 10, the New Living Translation, the Lord leads with unfailing love and, say it with me. Every time we see that word, I want you to say it out loud. The Lord leads with unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Psalm 117, verse 2, for his unfailing love. You notice how these things are coupled together? Every time you're talking about God, his unfailing love, his faithfulness. It's almost as though these two things were tied around his neck, written deep within his heart. 
His unfailing love, Psalm 117, verse 2, for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Praise the Lord. Amen. He said, praise the Lord. For what? His unfailing love and his faithfulness. Psalm 145, verse 13 in the English standard says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. Faithful and kind. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great, great. What else might you say instead of great? Mega. Mega is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, He who calls you is faithful. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, talking about Jesus, said, He who was faithful to him who appointed him. God is faithful. When you start talking about faithfulness, you are describing him and you are defining him. He's faithful. Now, the reason you have to take even just a little bit of time and we could spend the rest of today and for days on end, just looking at scripture after scripture about the faithfulness of God. But the reason I bring them up is because you have to use his faithfulness as the source for your faithfulness. The problem we run into is when we hear messages on, man, I got to walk in love. I got to be faithful. I know that's right. I hadn't been faithful. I hadn't been kind. Okay, Monday morning, 8 a.m. It's a new me. Faithful and kind. Faithful and kind. Jeremy, you better be kind. You be kind today. You better be kind. And you better, boy, you better be faithful, 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 faithful. Guess what I'm about to be? An unfaithful jerk. Why? Because I'm trying to, how do I say it, Lord? I'm using myself as my own source. And when you try to use yourself as the source for faithfulness, you run out quick. When you use yourself as the source for kindness, it's over in a hurry. You're going to have to have some other source. So my revelation of, of walking in kindness and faithfulness has to come out of a revelation of he is kind. He is faithful. Thank you, Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Bible says in verse 1, let a man so consider us, or this is what we want people to think about us, as servants of Christ, and notice this word, stewards of the mysteries of God. He said, when people think about us, they need to think of us and consider us servants and stewards. Servants and stewards. Stewards of the mysteries of God. You and I don't know what a privilege it is and what a special thing it is to be able to open up this book, read a little bit, and understand it. We take it for granted because we do it all the time. But do you know there are people all over the world that have tried it? And they read for a few minutes, maybe even an hour, maybe even days. 
But they read it apart from the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And it makes no sense to them. And they give up on it. They close it. Throw it across the room. They're confused by it, bored by it. You and I don't know what a rich privilege and a treasure it is to be able to open this thing up and read and get it. And it do something for you, minister life to you. And he said, what you and I are, are stewards of those mysteries. God has trusted us with some mysteries, things that have left people for ages puzzled. He's turned the light on for you. And you open this thing up and it breathes life to you. And what we are are stewards of those mysteries. Now, stewards is not a word we use too often. It, it literally just means overseer. We would use this word, a manager. We are managers of the mysteries. Now, there's, there's, uh, it's so important that we understand that because when you do get revelation and you do see something, you need to remind yourself, you didn't come up with that. That is not a reflection on your smarts. That's not a reflection on your education. That is only a reflection on the goodness of God, that he would turn the light on for you and that you'd see something and something maybe other people by and large don't see. It's a reflection of how good he is, not how smart you are. All you are is a manager of it. You're not the owner of it. And man, I've seen it. I've done it as a preacher. That's my revelation. That guy's preaching my revelation. Watch it. Watch out. It's not yours. You're a manager of that. A manager. He said, we are stewards of the mysteries, managers of the mysteries. Now he goes on in verse two to say, moreover, it is required in stewards or managers that one be found faithful, faithful. When Sarah and I and our team moved here a couple of years ago, before any work had been done on the church, we were nowhere near open or ready. We had a small team, some that had come with us, some that had been brought from other places around the country. And we, we all showed up in this place and it's just a kind of a living room full of us. And we started off in one of these cabins. I don't know if you've seen these cabins that are up here on the property, but we found one that was in decent enough shape that we could get together in. And um, we started getting together, what was that, like Tuesday nights or something like that. And we would get together to pray and get together to plan. And I mean, the church is coming and we got to do some building and got to get on the same page. And I remember the first one we went into this was the scripture the Lord gave me to bring to our staff and to our team. What the Lord is looking for from us is faithfulness. Now, I fully intended for the next six or eight weeks to go over all these different things, all these different job requirements, all these things that it would take from us to open this church and operate this church and be successful in this church. And we got together for six, eight weeks in a row and we never got past faithfulness faithfulness. And the more I dug into it, the more I realized this is the job requirement. There's not another one. This is it. We're stewards. We're managers. We're not owners. We're managers. Jeremy and Sarah don't own this church. We're just managers of something. And what is a manager? It's someone that's been given something 
that somebody else owns. It belongs to somebody else, and yet it's been put in their hand to do something with it. And week after week after week, we talk about nothing else but faithfulness, faithfulness. This is the job requirement. This is what he's looking for. One must be, what did he say? Found faithful. Who can find a faithful man? This is what he's looking for. Faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. In Genesis chapter 39, we read about a young man named Joseph. Would you turn there and look at this with me? Genesis 39. Now, Joseph's story doesn't start in chapter 39. His story starts in chapter 37. And most of you are familiar enough with it to remember Joseph was a, uh, where it picks up with his life. He's 17 years old. And this boy's a dreamer, literally a dreamer. Hey, bros, I had a dream. What was it? All y'all bowed down to me. What do you suppose that means? Hey, dad, I had a dream. What was it? You and mom were bowing down to me. He's a dreamer. And for obvious reasons, his brothers didn't like it. And one day, um, Joseph's father sent him out to find his brothers. They were tending sheep and Joseph, there's a lot of interesting, funny details about it, but a guy just finds him wandering in a field and is like, what are you looking for? He said, my brothers. He said, well, they've gone to Dothan. So he starts going towards them. And the Bible says that Joseph's brothers saw him afar off coming towards them. And they all started plotting how to kill him. <laughs> Remember I told you favor with God and men doesn't mean everybody likes you. Yes. What two groups did I tell you you might have trouble with? Pharisees and family. Joseph could say amen to that. He had some family trouble. And I don't care what kind of family trouble you're having. I don't think they're sitting around trying to figure out a way to kill you, how to off you. Maybe, but I don't think for most of us, that's probably not our issue. His brothers immediately went to work. How can we kill him? I want him dead. I want him gone. But he had one good brother. His name was Reuben. And the good brother said, no, we're not going to kill him. Let's throw him in a pit. <laughs> Folks, when that's the good brother, you are in serious trouble. But that's what they did. They, they got him, they threw him into the pit. And these dudes are cold-blooded. The Bible even says that they threw him into the pit where there was no water. And then they had a meal. Cold-blooded brothers, are you kidding me? And then, you know the story, these, this band of Ishmaelites comes and they said, we got an idea. Instead of killing him, let's sell him. And they did. They sold him into slavery. And he was purchased. But then you get to chapter 39. Here's Joseph, somebody's property, purchased like you would purchase cattle, an animal. And it says in chapter 39, verse one, that Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse two, notice this, the Lord was with Joseph. That's grace. That is the essence of grace. The presence of God with you. You could isolate and pinpoint everything that grace is. Grace is his strength. Grace is his favor. Grace is his help. Grace is his anointing. All of those things are true, but it can be summed up like this. It's him. It's him being with you. It's him being on you. And for us, it's him being in us. 
the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Now his master's an Egyptian. His master is a sun worshiper, a moon worshiper, a rock and river worshiper. This is not somebody seeking God. This is not somebody reading the word. They're not having Bible studies about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, this guy, he follows pagan gods, and yet he can see something on him. He sees something on him, and he sees that the Lord was with him, that he made all, everything he set his hand to do prosper. And so verse 4, you see it, Joseph found favor in his sight, and he did what? Served him. Then he made him overseer. You know what that is? Manager. Steward. Now we read the, the account of Joseph and things that happen in a few verses, we tend to think they happened over a course of a couple of days. No, Joseph was 17 when he got sold into slavery. He was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. These things happened over a lot of years. So what Potiphar, his master, is seeing is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Joseph didn't get purchased as a slave in day one. Potiphar sees the Lord is with thee. No, he's out in the field. He's just another purchased possession. And yet this guy, because the grace that was on him, begins, check this out, you ready? Prospering in a place he has no business prospering in. He begins to thrive in a place you're not supposed to thrive. And his master notices it. And the more he's faithful, the more gets turned over to him. The more his master puts in his hand. And all of a sudden, this guy who, I don't know, weeks or months or years ago, was just a slave purchased off the slave block, is now in the house, running the house. Being made a, ma a manager over these things. Verse 4 again, Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer or steward or manager of his house and all that he had that, Joseph, or that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. So does Joseph now own all this stuff? No, it's still Potiphar's. Joseph is just a faithful manager. See, a faithful person recognizes something's been put in my hand. I'm being trusted with something. Now, pride, when pride gets in, it says, this is mine. I, I'm a possessor of this. Look what I have. Look what I can do. But a humble person says, no, this is grace. I'm nothing but a manager. Whatever I have, grace gave it to me. Whatever I can do, grace enabled me to do it. And a faithful person will treat that gift as that, a gift. And as a manager, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. Now, you know the rest of this story. Joseph, he's a good looking young guy. And Potiphar's wife, uh, <laughs> she, she shows up. She says she cast longing eyes on him and said, lie with me. Subtle, huh? 
great pickup line, lady. Lie with me. But look at what he said. He refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master doesn't know what's with me in the house. He's, he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you're his wife. A faithful person knows what's been put in their hand. A faithful person knows what they've been given and a faithful person knows what they haven't been given. Hmm? What did he say? He's not kept anything back, but you, because you're his, you're his, not mine. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day, he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But verse 11, it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. She caught him by his garment. And you know the rest of the story. Lie with me. He turned around and he ran. And when Potiphar got home, his lying wife said, you brought this Hebrew in to mock us. He tried to take advantage of me and he believed his lying wife and he threw Joseph into prison. Let me ask you a question. Why did Joseph go to prison? You might say, well, because she lied. Wrong. Because none of the men were in the house. There were no men in the house. Had there been somebody else in the house, there could be somebody that would corroborate the truth, but there were no men in the house. Bad things were going on in churches because there's no men in the house. Part of our commitment to faithfulness is knowing what's been given to us and what has not. This right here will keep us, you, me, all of us, those who serve, our staff, those who attend, our, our, our ministry teams, this will keep us totally free from every kind of scandal, from, from any kind of inappropriate behavior or from hurting anybody anybody's spouse, anybody's child, if we'll know what we've been given and what we have not been given. A faithful person knows what's been put in their hand and what's not been put in their hand. Sarah Christine Hart has been given to me. Your wife has not. Nor has my wife been given to you. Am I being too heavy? Am I being... Can I tell you what Joseph had on his mind when he ran out of that place? This is not the right place at the right time. Doing something with her is not the right thing. She is not the right people. You know, when we stand up here and say that week after week after week, we make that confession, we will always be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. You want to know what we're saying? We'll be faithful. I'll be faithful. It is impossible to be unfaithful to your family if you're in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. There's so much more I want to say about this today. Lord, help me. 
We're talking about faithfulness. That's how you affair-proof your marriage. How, how can I keep from it? It's easy. Go home. Huh? And you know what? That's what a faithful person is. There's a lot of things we could talk about with faithfulness, but I want to center in on this one thing. A faithful person will be there. Well, where is there? Wherever they're supposed to be. That's where they'll be. And faithful just simply means trustworthy, means you can count on them, means you can depend on them. Can you be a faithful husband if you're not there? No. Can you be a faithful wife if you're not there? No. Can you be a faithful father or a faithful mother when you're not there, when they need you there? No, you can't be. Being faithful begins with being there. Somebody say, be there. And this is what we talked about as a staff. And this is why I say we, we, are, we are tapping on the heart and the culture of this church. And this is what we went over and 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 over as a team. And we still go over it to this day that what we require is one thing, faithfulness, faithfulness. Anybody we've added to our team since those days, Sarah, as, as uh, the lead over our staff, sits down with them and says, here's what we're asking. Here is the only thing we're asking of you. Be faithful to Jesus. Be faithful to your family. Be faithful to us. Amen. And when it comes to the job, man, people can make mistakes. People can miss it. People can make big mistakes. But as long as they're faithful, faithful unfaithfulness as far as we're concerned is one of the only things that gets between us be faithful and we told them for weeks in a row here's what it means to be faithful be there be where you're needed when you're needed that's what it means to be there be where you're needed and when you're needed which also means there's some places and sometimes you're not needed so what? Don't be there. When I was a kid, my parents, junior high, my parents, that's when they uh, started pastoring our church. And not long after they began the church, they started these Monday night miracle meetings. And they would bring in this evangelist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was a guy they knew from way back and moved in the, the gifts of the spirit and powerful anointing for healing. And this guy was a fiery preacher, man. And I remember these Monday nights. I think it was once a month they'd have these Monday night miracle meetings. And I'm telling you, the atmosphere was, it was heightened and there was expectation. And we were seeing amazing things happen. And a lot of people would come. A lot of prayer went into these things. And I remember being, I don't know, eighth, ninth grade. And as a pastor's kid, you're kind of around, right? I mean, you're there early, you're there late. And I remember one night going into the speaker's room of the church. And this was back when the church was in a very small building and they had a speaker's room. I mean, it could not have been more than 10 by 10. It was just a little room. And I walked into there, you know, pastor's kid, right? I own the place. You hear that? Own is that my place? No. But I walk in like I do, right? I walk into that speaker's room, door opens, it's full. Mom, dad, prayer leaders, evangelist. There's, I don't know, eight or 10 people in there and it's tight. I just kind of walk in like, hey, what's up? And I can tell everybody's looking kind of funny. It's really quiet. I'm like, that's all right. I'll go over to the chip drawer, <laughs> the snack drawer pull out the drawer, grab myself a little bag of Doritos, pop that open, stand there. 
with every crunch, it like reverberates through the room. And as a ninth grader, I got the revelation. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. Leave. But I'm so glad I got it as a ninth grader. I'm so thankful I'm not 41 now or 51 later or well into my 60s and 70s, still not knowing where I'm supposed to be and where I'm not supposed to be. A faithful person will be there. Where is where? Where they're supposed to be. That's where they'll be. Not where they're not supposed to be, where they are supposed to be. Where they're needed and when they're needed. In addition to being there, you know what else that means? We talked to our staff about this. We need you there. We need you there. But there's a big difference in just being there and being there in good shape. I don't need you there if you're dragging in with a bad attitude, grumpy. Well, I'm here. You said you wanted me here. I'm here. What? Are we done yet? No, it's, it's, it's being there, but then it's another step. Faithfulness has to do with not just being present, but the condition in which you're present. And one of the things we made clear to them that this is what we expect because we believe this is what the Lord expects from us, faithfulness. That what faithfulness means is you are there and you are there awake, alert, aware, happy, healthy, and strong. Am I right, Steph? Am I saying the right thing? So we told them this is what it means to be faithful. You show up, but you show up awake. You show up alert and aware. You show up happy, healthy, and strong, ready to do, ready to go, ready to work. That's faithfulness. Awake, alert, aware, happy, healthy, and strong. Amen. You can see this favor on Joseph's life and you can see that it doesn't show up unless you're a faithful person. And even when he got lied about and got put into prison, it says in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You are not supposed to prosper in prison. And yet he is. Why? Grace, favor. And he's faithful in that place. You could read the rest of Joseph's life and you'd see it over and over and over again. To go from prison to standing before Pharaoh, the grace to interpret a dream, instant promotion, promoted to the number two man in all the nation. Not number one, number two, which makes him not an owner, a manager, a steward, somebody that's been given something. Musicians, you guys come. Jesus talked about this. In Matthew chapter 25, don't take time to turn there, but in verse 14, he told a parable. We call it the parable of the talents. And he talked about a master who called his servants, his stewards together. And the Bible says he gave to them his goods. Whose goods were they? His, not theirs, his. And he said to one, he gave five talents, to another, he gave two, and to another, he gave one. Now, you're going to have to go to work right then and there to kind of undo some thinking about that because you hear that, I hear that, and we think, well, this guy got five gold coins, this guy got two gold coins, and this guy got one. Now, he didn't say anything about coins. He said talents. And do a little study on it, and a talent is about a 75-pound chunk 
of either gold or silver or precious metal. It doesn't say in scripture what metal or, or, or what material it was. He just said talent. And I did a little uh, computation on it this weekend. Five talents of gold is roughly 10 million in today's dollars. So that makes two talents, you know, a little less than half of that. I think it's about 4.4. One talent, about 2.2 million. It just goes to work on you a little bit. That even if you only got one, it's still a chunk. It's still a chunk. And it's something to be thankful for. But here's what Jesus said. He gave to each according to his ability. His ability. Now, I've been preaching on this parable for a long time, but I saw it this weekend in a way I never had before. He gave to each according to his what? That's grace. Do you know why you have any ability whatsoever? And where it came from? Grace. Grace is ability. Now here's the good news. Ability can grow. Ability can grow. You might be really good at something right now. Let me ask you, were you always that good at it? Or did you grow into it? You grew into it. You grew into that ability. And that word ability is the same word translated strength. When Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. But then the Bible says he turned around and went on a long journey. And the one who received five talents, he went and traded and he gained five more. You want to know what that is? Grace. Grace. Don't be caught thinking, man, I'm good at this. Man, I'm a man. I just got a knack for it. How'd you do that? How'd you double that invest? I just got a knack for it. I just see it. I just hear it. No, I can sniff it out. No. If you're smart, what will you say? It's grace. It's grace. Grace gave me the ability. Grace empowered me to do with the ability what he wanted me to do. And, and the same guy that got two, he went and traded, got two more also. And the guy with one, who remembers what he did? He went and he dug and he buried it. Then Jesus said, after a long journey, after a long time, the master came back. You want to know what that is? Grace. It's opportunity. Notice his masters didn't, the master didn't put five talents in his hands and then come back the next day and say, where's my 10? No, it was after a long time. Grace gives Ability and grace gives opportunity. And a faithful person will act on ability. A faithful person will act on opportunity. And I know that because when this master came back and he called his servants in and the one who he'd given five, he came back and said, Lord, you gave me five. I went and traded. Here's five more besides. And his master said, well done. Well done. Man, does anybody want to hear that? Does anybody want to stand at the throne of God on eternity day one and hear these words? Well done. Well done. What did he say? Good and good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. A faithful man will abound 
filled with blessing. So he got ability. He got opportunity and he was faithful with both of them. And as, as a result, he increased and then was promoted by his master Amen. because he acted on ability and he acted on opportunity. Yeah. Now here comes a guy with two. You gave me two. I got two more. And his master said, what? Well, that's good, but not as good. No, he said the same thing. He said, well done. I mean, come on, who wants to work for this guy, right? Well done. Celebrate you. You have been faithful, good and faithful. I'm going to make you ruler over much promotion increase. A faithful man will abound with blessing. Go ahead guys. And then the last guy came in and this is what he said. Master, I knew you were a hard and harsh man. Now just think about what you know about this master. Does he sound hard and harsh to you? Well done, good and faithful? No. I knew you were a hard man, a harsh man. So I went and buried what you gave me. Here, you have what's yours. Now everybody got called two things, good and faithful, good and faithful, but not this guy. His master looked at him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. Lazy. Why? Because his master saw in him the ability to handle that talent. He saw it in him. He would not have given it to him if he didn't have it. He saw in him the ability, but he didn't act on the ability and he didn't take advantage of the opportunity. How long does it take to bury something in the ground? Not long. Requires nothing of you. Requires no effort, requires no energy, requires no thought. He said, I was afraid. So I went and buried it. Fear will make you do stupid, unfaithful stuff. Amen. And his master said, why didn't you put it in the bank? And this guy, don't you know, he was just like, the bank. Why didn't I think of the bank? Fear is why. But his master said, take from him, give it to the one who has 10. Long story short, you're fired. Unfaithful. He had the ability, didn't do anything with it. Had the opportunity, didn't do anything with it. And because of unfaithfulness, he lost his place. Folks, we've seen it. We've seen it. People come to us and say, hey, we're with you. We are with you. What, what can we do? We're ready. Tell us what to do. Okay, great. Praise God. We need you over here. Can you clean this thing for us? You got something else? See, I've got all this experience. I come with all this knowledge. It's not hard to find somebody who will tell you how good they are. Yeah, I know, but what we need is this. There's a need in this ministry here. Will you, will you step into this? Will you step into that? Folks, we've literally had people tell us that when you asked us to do that, that was like a slap in the face and a punch in the stomach. Really? You, you said you were here. You said you were ready. You said you wanted to help. You, got, you had the ability to do it. We gave you the opportunity to do it. But a faithful person will recognize this is what's been put in my hand. Five talents, two talents, or one. Whatever it is, it can grow. If I'll be faithful with it. 
That is the only way to get it to grow. Be faithful with what you've got. Do with it what he wants done with it. And those folks that that said, no, we don't want to do that. We've got experience in this. We want to do this. It's, It's a higher place. It's a higher position. This is what we were thinking. Well, what do you think I should do? Hmm? Should I hear that and go, well, okay. You won't do this thing, so let me give you more responsibility. You won't do the small thing I asked. And Jesus said, if you're not faithful in the little, you will be made ruler over my... That's that's not what I read. Faithful in the little. Do you have the ability to do this? Well, yeah. Okay. Now you got the opportunity. What are you doing it? And what you have to recognize that whether it's coming from a pastor, a leader, or a boss, or anybody, even if they hand you something that in your eyes seems small, that doesn't necessarily mean that's all they see for you. It's a test. What will you do with what you've been given? What will you do? A faithful person will seize the opportunity. A faithful person will act upon the ability and a faithful God will increase them. Amen. Would you stand up on your feet with me? Sarah, would you come? You know, the phrase that keeps coming to my heart is what it means to be faithful to the finish. Mm -hmm. To the finish of a thing. And you know, it's easy to be faithful for a season. It's easy to be faithful in the high times. It's easy to be faithful in the exciting times. It's easy to be faithful when something's brand new. But when the newness wears off and you get faced with reality, (laughs) with maybe a a moment of stillness, a moment of quietness, a moment of of, uh, you know, not hype, not highs. Maybe you feel like you're in a low. Those are still the times to be faithful. Still times to be faithful to the finish. And you know, when God sends you to a place, you want to f- be fully developed. What does that mean? To be a faithful person is to be faithful time and time again, you show up as surely as the sun comes up every morning, you're there. You are there and you are right on time. You faithfulness is to me sticking to what you said. I'm going to do what I said Mm -hmm. I would do. And that's how God is right. True to his word. He's going to follow through. He's going to come through for you right on time. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, you know, You want to be fully developed. What does that mean? That means to get all that you're supposed to get, to do all that you're supposed to do, to be all God created you to be, to do that and to be faithful to it all the way to the finish. And when you do that, I'm telling you, there's favor. You can sense it. You can know it, that you've been faithful to the finish when you find favor favor in the sight of God and in the sight of men. I'm telling you, Jeremy and I have experienced this so many times. There's times that we could have quit. There's times we could have given up. There's times we could have laid down. But 
I'm telling you that faithfulness or being faithful to what God told us to do, being faithful to the people God had called us to, to be faithful to, it produced a big kind of favor in our life. You know, we came to this place and started a new work with so much favor surrounding us, mm. with so much because we were faithful to the Lord and he was faithful to us. Amen. Everything is a seed. You sow faithfulness, you reap faithfulness. Yes, you sow did. honor, you reap honor. You sow uh, faithfulness, you reap favor. Yeah. So all that this morning is let's be the kind of people that are faithful to the finish. Amen. The harvest of favor that you need is dependent upon the seeds of faithfulness that you sow. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.